Anybody know? Yeah. You reviewed. Law decay. Law decay. All right. The old covenant brought about the new. New covenant and all that good stuff, right? All that stuff. All right. So today we're finishing up our long series about creation. We're finished. Notice pastors, all his doubts and stuff. Most of them were about the first chapters of Genesis. I got a kick out of that. Okay. But here's the deal. Because he wouldn't come to my Sunday school class for a series that he could have wrestled with all that. But he um, mentioned a lot of good stuff, and we've been that we've been studying for now 15, 16 weeks, something like that. This is the last lesson in this series. So what I want to do is ask you, as we get started here, I want to ask you. Uh, let's do a little thought experiment, okay? So I want to know what comes to mind when you think about heaven. Give me a word or two. Uh, I wanted to write them down. I asked Deborah this because I knew she wouldn't be in here. What she thought and uh, what she thought of. And she thought of living forever. That's what she thought of when she thought about the word heaven. She also thought about living with her uh, relatives that have gone on before, okay? She also thought about uh, friends of hers who always thought it would be boring. She thought about learning uh, about uh, different things, about cooking and other things that she wanted to learn. Oh, dancing. That was the other one. Yeah. That she you didn't teach that. her on that wooden floor? and that. We know how to dance. Oh, okay. But uh, she wants to learn more. Keep learning more about dancing. Anyway, um, trying to remember what else she said. She's going to get mad at me for not remembering. Did she say anything about a new body? New body. Okay. I don't remember, but we'll put that down. New body. Right. And in, in, in relationship to that, she always thinks about um, her relatives, particularly her dad, who died having amputated both his legs. And so she thinks about him dancing with her in, in glory. So that's kind of the context there. All right, so in a sense, the new body, right? What else? What other thoughts come to mind about heaven? The history being re- revealed, and we really, really get to see history being a, revealed. A, huh? a God, all right, uh, all right. revealed, know, and unimaginable. What is it? What is he? What is it really like? Is it anything I imagine down okay. here? That's not one word or two. Oh, well, God. <laughs> being with God, right? No more sin, temptation. Well, maybe it depends on what's believed. Eternity. Eternity, okay? Light, peace, resolution. Light, peace, resolution. All right, very interesting. Any other thoughts? Be nice for to be tired. Oh. <laughs> Not to be tired. That's a good one. Okay. So living forever, relatives, being with relatives, boring, learning how to cook or dance or other hobbies, new body, history revealed, being with God, eternity, life, peace, resolution, not being tired. That's a good one. All right. So there's a lot of things people think about when they are talking about heaven, when heaven comes to mind, so to speak, right? Any other ideas? 
Got to change. Got to change this stupid thing. You know that reception of walking down all those streets of gold and those emeralds. How sparkly. Okay, so those streets of gold. And that I swear, I think I'm going to be a greeter. I get to greet you all into heaven. Oh, I do believe it. I'm a greeter. I believe it. I do. Okay, that's, that's a little different. That's a little different. Okay. I'm a greeter. Find out what God really wants for worship. What? Leave the worship for us because we'll figure out what God wants for worship. Ah. Well, that would be one under resolutions. That's good. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Good. Um, interesting. What this group thinks of when they think of heaven, and most of those I would have guessed. Um. Here's some others that people have mentioned. Although, anybody have any, like this one was Deborah sharing with me, a friend of hers thought it would be boring. Okay, any things that worry you about heaven like that. Right? Some people, like when they think of heaven, they think of the uh, avoiding of hell. Right? They think, okay, if I make it to heaven, I don't avoid it hell. Other things that people think of is no more evil. Uh, they think they might resemble angels in eternity. They might think it's boring. Uh, they might think we ride around on clouds all day, uh, playing harps. That's what some kids might say, right? Interesting that uh, some of these other things, do they come to mind? The thousand-year reign of Christ. Anybody think of that when they think of heaven? Um, sort of a given. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, inclu that's included in resolution, right? <laughs> when I say resolution, it means all of that. You know, my resolution actually meant of something you probably don't think of, Dan, because is the whole self-doubt, self-struggle, inner turmoil, besetting sins. Okay. Isn't Satan unleashed again after a thousand years for one last? Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Right I, there. I was going to say that's why I said well, I don't know about tempting. Yeah, you're not going to tempt anybody in heaven. Uh, new bodies, as you mentioned, new heaven and earth. Nobody mentioned that. That all things are new. Nobody mentioned the new Jerusalem. Uh, referred to it by the, talking about the streets of gold. Uh, nobody mentioned physics or extra dimensionality, okay? So we're going to take a look at some of these things. I, I thought that would be right on the tip of your tongue, but none of you mentioned that. All right, so as we wrap this up, you understand, and we've said it over and over again, that God's purposes, his designs, and his plan for creation started with a two-creation model. So God has two creations in mind to fulfill his prop, his purposes and his goal. The first creation, which he called very good, by the way, in Genesis 1.31, he looked at everything he had made and said, hey, this is very good. Well, if it's all that good, why does he need a second creation, right? So it depends on his purposes. It depends on what he's trying to do. And as we know with the first creation, God do. God's plan was to develop an image of himself in man and, ha and have man understand and learn to be God's representative in creation. And he created the first one so that billions of people could be redeemed. So the first creation's goal was to redeem billions and billions of people. And then its other goal was to limit and eliminate evil. So by the time this creation is done, there will be no more evil. There, it'll be, it's mitigated or limited while it's here, and then it will go away. So we've talked about this on several lessons in detail, but that was the purposes and goals of God had that is why he created the first creation in, in, in the first place. It almost sounds to me like though, that he was defeating part of his creation to begin with. Well, if he wanted to create, uh, creating man, uh, he created a being that is often evil. Right. 
So in or uh, that's right. That's right. So he if if he but why did he create man and allow him to be evil, right? And we've t- we talked about that in in the context. God wanted man to love justice, uh, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before his God. In order to do that, he had to know what justice meant, experience what mercy is, and understand what it means to be walk humbly. And that requires free will, and that requires the opportunity for man to do otherwise than what God would allow him to do. But God so hates evil, so hates wickedness, that he set a time limit. He said, this far and no further will evil go. And he set a world in place, as we've talked about on several lessons, he set a world in place, a universe in place, a creation in place, so that evil is limited and eventually goes away. All right? And so that's why he did it. Now, whenever you talk about creation, the way like Pastor did, whenever you talk about the science and the scientific quantum realm, all that stuff, you got to keep in mind why it's done that way. All right. And so when God says this was a very good world, He meant it was very good to see those purposes fulfilled. Okay. So because now we have a second creation, now we have a new heaven and a new earth. And this new heaven and new heaven and new earth will completely operate without any evil, without the limits of evil. Now, remember, we talked about the limits of evil. What are the limits of evil? We see it expressed in the fall of man, that wasted time. There's a lot of extra time needed to overcome the effects of evil. How many of you know that? It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort to overcome the effects of evil. There Evil increases the pain, creates an awful lot of unnecessary pain because evil exists. People do evil things, it creates a lot of pain. And then also, uh, there's a lot of unnecessary work that has to happen because evil exists. So because of that, because God created this world to be redeemed, created it to limit, and, and God created a second heaven and earth, well, we'll create a second heaven and earth. There he is. Hey! Apparently in all the things you have... I told him this already. Apparently all the things you have doubts about, you don't have any problem with the Trinity. Um, you didn't oh, mention that. Like I said, it's only a short class. <laughs> I, I step in. Did you? I told him. In the high school class, in the next hour, we're going to talk about uh, the challenge, wrestle with the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. Yeah. Those are other things you apparently don't have a problem with. <laughs> anyway, just a couple of clues. I, I love it. I love it, Dan. And, and Dan, Dan's one of my favorite people to wrestle ideas with. Wrestle, yes. Let's wrestle. Great, great morning. You chased him away. I know. I know. Tried to keep him. I tried to keep him here, but it didn't work. All right. So in the second creation, God said, "Okay, we got through this first creation. Now we're going to make all things new. So we're going to take a look at this." Second creation. Now, the Bible is full of passages about the current creation. Lots of lots of description, lots of stuff. We've gone through all that over weeks and weeks of time. But the Bible only has limited insight into what this new creation looks like. And it is in Revelation 21. We're going to focus on, on what it says there. And I'm going to read it. It's the we're going to read the whole chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Hey, that's good. That's what we're talking about. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. 
For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and at the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall and the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, tenth chrysopras, the the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl, and the street and the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its, and the, its lamp is the land. Uh, by its light will, be the nation, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut day or night, and there will be no night there. Shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, so this creates a tremendous picture of this new creation. We have some hints about the new creation. Uh, we've seen parts and pieces of it, as Jesus told us. The new creation starts um, in us, the Bible says, that we become a new creation in Christ. So part of, the, part of this whole new creation starts in us when we accept Christ. And when we're found in Christ, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Jesus showed us, what we can expect with our new bodies in this new creation. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 describes these bodies. They're imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, bear the image of the resurrected Jesus. So our new bodies in creation are like our old bodies in this creation that are patterned after the body that Jesus was given. All right? So in the new creation, we too will have bodies like Jesus's. So when we study Jesus's new body after his resurrection, we get at some clue as to its capabilities and its, and its function. For instance, it's touchable, physical, and can talk. Why is that important? Any thoughts why that would be important to say and to identify? Because Thomas touched him. He no, Thomas didn't touch him, by the way. Read John 20. It never says he touched him. 
Um, no. Jesus said, here, put your hand here and see, and sit my side. And Thomas fell back and said, my, the God of me and the Lord of me. He never said, it never says he touched him. It, he invited, he was invited to touch him, but it doesn't say that he did. Just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It doesn't actually say he touched him. <laughs> but it's just a trivia point, trivia thing there. Um, why it's important to understand that in the new creation, our bodies will be like Jesus' is because Jesus' new body in the resurrection was touchable, physical, and could talk. Right? So it wasn't, he wasn't some spirit creature. He wasn't some angel without a body. He was an actual embodied person. And we will be too. There's some kind of continuity with our old body. It will be us, but in a new body. John 27, 1 Corinthians 15, talk about that. Uh, it's a body divinely given by God, 1 Corinthians 15, 38. Uh, it, he can travel between heaven and earth, Luke 24, 51. Uh, he shine, it shines, his body shines in some way. Matthew 13, 43. He can walk and reason with others as he does in Luke 24 on the Emmaus Road, obviously. He can eat and probably drink, even though the Bible doesn't identify him as drinking uh, in his new body, Luke 24, 41 through 43. And he's no longer limited to our three plus one dimensions. John 20, 26. Now, I've talked about this in other lessons. What's the three plus one dimensions of our creation? Well, height, width, depth, and time. That's right. Height, width, depth, and time. Three spatial dimensions, one time dimension. Okay? So sometimes we refer to it as four dimensions. Sometimes it's referred to as three plus one because the one being time. So Jesus' body is no longer limited by those dimensions. All right, heaven versus the new creation. So let's talk about how these are somewhat the same but are little differences. When we think about heaven, normally people think about, at least in this life, what it's going to be after we die. Right? So immediately after we die, what happens? And the story that comes to mind is Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man went to hell, even though his body's in the grave, he went to hell in some sense. And Lazarus went to what we describe as heaven in the story it's described as the bosom of Abraham. So their bodies are dead. This is a non-body part of the story where we go when we're dead it's being described, Paul describes it as being absent from the body, as being present with the Lord. So there's a separation at death between the body, the body is left, and what makes us, our souls, our spirits, is then immediately with the Lord, unless we're judged to be in hell. So our, our spiritual, what makes us, identi what identifies us as Human beings, what identifies us as spiritual beings is either with the Lord or in hell. So that's, that's what we, th and naturally, uh, we would think of immediately after death, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.8 talks about being absent from the body, present with the Lord. We think of angels, right? We think of loved ones. We think of the throne room like Isaiah 6. But, the thing is, we're still thinking about this in the, naturally in human terms. We're thinking of it as three plus one dimensional creatures. Right? Remember, God says in the new heaven and earth, all things go away. All things are new. Everything is new. So the functions of our body will be new. Physicality will be new. What we say as physical, we don't know. The Bible does describe Jesus' new body uh, Jesus himself said, uh, after his resurrection, in his new body, he said, ghosts do not have flesh and bones as you see me have. So, one way to describe the physical new body is, the, is that it has flesh and bones. Right? But what those bones are and what that flesh is, is probably radically different than what we think of. 
Because God said, I am the Alpha and Omega, and I'm making everything new. So it's some kind of physicality without necessarily being the same kind of stuff that we're used to. Okay? So physics can help us give us new insights into this chapter on the new creation and the new uh, Jerusalem. Uh, I get a kick out of uh, Revelation 21. I'm sure you guys all saw the when I was reading that, you were going, whoa, wait a minute. What does that mean? That's weird. So anybody notice weird stuff in that chapter 21, right off the bat? He says, there's a heaven and an earth, but the earth has no sea. Now, no sea. There's no sea in it at all. Well, what would happen? Sea. Like in the ocean. Okay? So what would happen? What would our earth look like with no seas at all? Well, 70% of the earth's surface is covered in oceans. So we would be reclaiming an awful lot of land. Right? And as it turns out, a lot of big mountains too. Because there's a much deeper mountains in the ocean than there is on top of the continents. But this is a new earth. So if there's no sea, there's a lot of land. All right? There's a lot. to all the animals in the sea? Well, that's a good question, right? Well, the creation that we experience, the oceans and the woods and all that, um, we long for more of it. We love it. It's a foretaste of something. It's sort of, a, you know, of getting back to Eden or something. There is a river referred to in Revelation 22. I have a hard time myself of thinking that streets of gold are lovely. So I don't know what, you know, our desires and our perceptions will be changed, or this is very figurative language. All right, so I was, that's a very good segue to what I was going to bring up. This whole description of the new creation here we have in Revelation 21-22 is trying to describe something that's completely new to people who are completely old. If this was, and that reminds me of a quote, if this was the old men in black, Will Smith would say, this is the new hotness versus the old busted. So what we're trying to do is describe the new hotness in terms of the old busted. Okay? That makes it difficult. A lot of scholars might take all this language about the new creation to be figurative. Some of it does seem to be figurative. Okay? If all things are new, what are they doing making the walls, uh, the gates, out of pearls? Okay? So, that tends to make us, lead us to believe that some of it is probably figurative. Right? So we've got to figure out what's figurative, and not figurative in, in the sense of being untrue, but figurative in the sense of describing something in terms that the author's readers could understand that kind of relates to a, a greater truth behind the figurative language. All right, so when it talks about all these um, gems, right? Some of them I don't even know what they are. Um, so maybe they're new, maybe they're new gems. But when he talks about this, he may be talking about the way it looked like a gem that he's familiar with, the author is familiar with. Yeah. The brightness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in this time frame, the biblical time frames, authors would look at the sky, it says this, I think in Job, it looks at the sky and because of its brightness, they relate it to a, a sheet metal of brab, polished bronze. Doesn't mean he believes it's made out of bronze. He's relating it, the, the brightness, to something he knows and the people who read would know. So John's doing the same thing here. He's relating what he's seeing in terms of what he knows. But the problem is, it's a new creation. And so he can only relate to the old busted. 
instead of the new hotness. So we have to say, okay, so what part of this, what is the real truth underneath the figurative language, and how much of this is real? Is there really a new Jerusalem? All right, is that figurative language? Well, the clues we have in the text, I'm only going by the text now, the clues we have in the text is when God says to John, I am making everything new, and you can take it to the bank. Do you notice he said that, right? He said, write the, he said, behold, I'm making all things new, he said. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Every time I hear that or read it, I think, take that to the bank, you know, with my hand up. Uh, who used to say that? With my hand up. Um, the snake guy, the snake story. Wendy Bagwell, that's who used to say that. I knew it'd come to me. Anyway, so that's what John, that's what God's saying to him. Write this down. This is trustworthy and true. Write it down. You can take it to the bank. I'm making all things new. The other clue we have as to the reality of this is when the angel said to him, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, who's the bride and the wife of the lamb? That's what we say, right? The church. But that's not what this text says. This text says specifically that the new Jerusalem, let's take a look at it again. Um, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So in the context of the text, the bride he's talking about is the new Jerusalem. Interesting, huh? So see, we can... True, most of the New Testament, okay, the church is the bride of the Lamb and all that stuff. And then in Revelation, John says, the New Jerusalem is the bride we're talking about here, the bride of the Lamb. So that leads some scholars to say the New Jerusalem is just a figurative description of the church. See? So how can we know? What can we decide? Well, we can. this is one of the things Pastor talked about doubts today. We can wrestle with that and, and we can choose and we can analyze it and wrestle with it and pray about it and we can come to our own conclusions and our conclusions could be wrong okay but i tend to believe that when he's describing here he's describing the lamb of god as a real city as a real thing and the reason i believe that is because the meta the technique in all of biblical history when they wanted you to believe something is real rather than figurative or at least real as described figuratively, so a greater truth, they used two techniques. They said they would use, take it to the bank kind of language, write it down, this is true, or they would use some kind of measuring rod. Okay? So here you see that he says, uh, I'm uh, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb, uh, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, its radiance, its radiance like a most rare jewel. And then he goes on to jewel stuff again. It had a great wall and and all all of that. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates, and its walls. So the, t the technique they use to communicate that this is a real thing is referring to a measuring process. Okay? So it actually has particu particulars to the actual thing. Now, what, what did we study when we studied parables and, and metaphor in the Bible? How do they describe a parable? How does a parable, which is not a real, real story, describing real events, how do they describe a parable? Well, they describe it in generic terms. They describe it without people's names, generally. They describe it without references to places. They describe it without particulars, like the size of the walls, okay? The length of the walls. And I get a kick out of the fact that when he's describing this, he said, oh, he said, uh, they measured the wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. I get a kick out of that because he says that's a human measurement and we don't even know what cubits are. <laughs> and we're humans, right? So I get a kick out of that. 
Um, you might find it odd, the things I get a kick out of, but then I do get a kick out of it. All right. So are we talking about a real city? And the answer is, I think we are, because of those two main reasons. Yes? Well, I'll give you another one, and that's Psalm 46. Uh, now, I haven't studied it, but in, in my heart, it, it starts about uh, God, our refuge and our strength, and we won't fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. So that could be end times. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Right. I love that. Yeah, it's a great psalm. It doesn't say it's set in the New Jerusalem. It does not. But we infer that because of the descriptions of the New Jerusalem, right? So we didn't, so 2,000 years, or however many years there were, 1,000 years between the time Psalms written, John's written, uh, maybe 1,000 years, uh, people go, what in the world? I don't see any river like that in, in Jerusalem, right? But when John gets this vision of the New Jerusalem, oh, there it is. I see it right there, okay? So, yes, so there's these references that gives us some satisfaction in understanding what we're seeing here. Yes. It's not going to be all gold. We're going to have a right. river in there. Also notice, read the, read the verses. Read the verses. The streets, it says, and here's, here's another figurative thing. We all think of these streets as gold, but it says that the streets, uh, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I'm going, what gold do you know of was like transparent glass, right? So there's... He's clearly making metaphorical language because he's referring to it as gold, but he's also referring to it as transparent glass. Yes. How about the fact that he describes it as a cube? And I've seen. All right. I've seen people extrapolate the, the dimensions from that, and that cube is bigger than the, the present Earth. All right. So let's talk about that. Right. This is either a cube or a pyramid. All right. It could be describing a pyramid. Most people think it's a cube, but it could be either one, uh, because it does. It says the foundation is square, and the walls are high, but it doesn't say. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a cube, but it could be. All right, and I like to think of it as a cube myself. But how big is this? All right, so let's talk about how big it is. This is where we get into physics, which is very interesting, to me. <laughs> And remember, we talked about, okay, so let's, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we got to understand that this is now going to be the dwelling place of God. So Revelation 21 makes it clear that this is the dwelling place of God. Where do we think of the dwelling place of God now? We think of it in heaven somewhere, in the great beyond, right? But in eternity... You know, when we talk about heaven, talking about heaven, you know, the old song, uh, we're talking about some place beyond us where God resides, where Jesus is now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? We think about that somewhere else. Here, and then the other way we think about God is God in us, right? God living in us, Christ in us. But we think about God in this thing we call heaven in this dwelling place. But in creation, in the new creation, where's he going to live? He's going to live in the new Jerusalem on earth. That's where he lives. That's where it says he lives, yes. So does that mean those in heaven will come back to earth and live? Yeah, we're not talking about, yes, this is after the resurrection, after the second coming, after the resurrection, in eternity. Everybody will come down with Christ and then the thousand-year reign, if you believe in a physical thousand-year reign, that'll happen, and then all these things will happen, and finally death, hell, and the grave will be cast into the lake of fire, and now we've got the new creation. So all that stuff ends the old creation. That's all part of the ending of the old creation. And now we have this new heaven and a new earth. How we transition from the old earth to the new earth isn't told. All right, and so there's a lot of speculation about that. I don't want to get into that, but there's a lot of speculation about that, and the Bible's silent about how we'll transition from the old earth 
where we come down with Christ and reign for a thousand years, and here we are, we're reigning, we're doing all this, okay. How do we get to the old earth? How does the current earth and heaven pass away? The Bible's silent about that. So where it's silent, it's best for us to stay silent. Apparently, somehow, we are now in the new creation, and the new creation has this big city that comes down onto earth, and we live on the new earth and in the new Jerusalem forever. So that describes eternity in this new creation. So we have, uh, we, we have this transition. Of course, obviously, if we transition into heaven when we die, maybe that's what happens and while God's making this new heaven and new earth, and then we come to live on the new heaven and new earth. We don't know, okay? So it's fair to say we just don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it's clear that God intends to have this new heaven and a new earth with these new physical realities, okay? So this new heaven, new earth, this new earth particularly, uh, is the dwelling place of God. And so you might ask, well, then what's the new heaven for? <laughs> All right, so he may be referring to a new universe and maybe not a new abode of God. Maybe in the new heaven and earth, the old heaven goes away. I don't know. But it's clear from the text that God lives with man on the new earth, in the new creation. All right? So that's a challenging thing to think about. Uh, the righteous angels are there. The redeemed humans are there. And apparently there's some kind of nations there. As you read the chapter 21, the kings of the nations will bring, come to the city. And so I don't know what that's all about. The Bible's pretty quiet about that too. All right, so we see that the new earth has no sea. So that means it doesn't have any plate tectonics. We, we studied how this earth, how it formed seas and how it settled the seas and the oceans. Well, maybe this new earth doesn't need plate tectonics. It doesn't need this earth doing the things that this earth does to maintain its water levels. Uh, so there's no water in the oceans. Doesn't mean there's no water because there is a river. So there's some kind of water. It may not be water as we know it. It's got to be something new. And so that means our new earth has a vastly greater surface area. So what do we see here? We see that, the, that God is the light and the lamb, lamb is the lamp thereof. There's no darkness at all. Well, what does that tell us? What does that tell us? It immediately gets our minds to go to physics. We immediately pops into our head the physics of that. What has changed in physics? And we go, oh. Now, as you all know and could recite, okay, our three plus one dimensions is made up of four forces. There are four basic forces in our creation. There's electromagnetism. There's the weak nuclear force. There's the strong nuclear force. And there is gravity. I knew you were going to say it right off the bat. All right? So we know, and it's fascinating because it's our generation, the last 100 years only, where we know that the atom structures, the structures of atoms, stable planetary orbits, star orbits, stars themselves, cannot operate independent of those three dimensions plus one time dimension. Those forces cannot operate outside of our three plus one dimensional space. So if they don't exist, none of those things can happen. Something else can happen, but not those things. So it tells us if there's no moon and stars, that implies that these forces of nature aren't the same. Not only that, but God said everything's going to be new. So the forces of nature go away or are different. Yeah, and then all the time cycles, all the cycles. Right, all that stuff goes away. The structure of the new Jerusalem tells us something else goes away. Interestingly enough, this structure is... Bigger than any structure ever made on our planet, or all the structures combined. It is 1,379 miles square and high. 
So if this is a cube, it's 1,379 miles cubed. All right? That means gravity is different or doesn't exist in the new creation. Why? Because as you know, gravity forces every material object 300 miles in more than 300 miles in diameter would tend toward physical shapes by gravity as we know it. That's why the earth is a globe. That's why galaxies are disks, okay, with a globe in the middle. These are for, gravity's forcing these things into a known spherical shape. They're not exactly spherical, but they, they tend to approximate that. So if this thing, this city, was that big and gravity worked the way it does now, it wouldn't maintain that shape. It couldn't. Okay? So that's, that's how new everything is in this new, new, new uh, creation. All right? We also can tell by the description what else is missing. Uh, the law of decay, the second law of thermodynamics, is not in effect. Now, that's weird, okay? Because the description of the New Jerusalem does tell us that we will do work. We will do things. Well, in our creation, you can't do things. There's no work can be done without the law of thermodynamics, without the law of decay. It re is required to do any kind of work in our creation. So to do work in a creation that has no second law of thermodynamics, because it says there's no decay, right? without that, there's some other kind of law. These laws go away. So the enormity of this building, this city, is amazing. Um, for 10 billion people, let's say, let's say God's plan was to have at least 10 billion people, we talked about how we can know kind of generally, billions and billions and billions of people. But let's say it's 10 billion people that would be saved um, and would live here. They would have 40 billion cubic spaces to live in. That would be 14 square miles and a 100-foot ceiling for everybody in the city. And that's for that many people, okay? It's an amazingly large city. It exceeds Earth's largest structures by more than 10 trillion times. Now, imagine the enormity of this thing coming down and setting on the new Earth. What's that tell you about the new Earth? The new Earth is just as big, much bigger. Uh, if the new Jerusalem is that much bigger by orders of magnitude over the structures on our Earth, then the Earth itself is probably, we can infer, many times Bigger than we can imagine. How big that if must be. Gravity doesn't exist, then Earth doesn't have to be spherical. And it doesn't have to be spherical. That's right. Our minds go there, right? But it Why doesn't. Why would you say infinite? Well, I, I, I doubt that because it's a physical b building. I mean, remember, we're not talking about being God, right? So we don't have the qualities of omnipresence and that kind of stuff. So you've got to keep that in mind. So these are physical being buildings, and we're physical beings, so we have limits, right? But the limits that we have now go away. Yes? Forgive this stupid question, but my mind doesn't do numbers well. How, from what point to what point is 1,400 miles, if you're looking at the U.S.? From D.C. to where would be 1,400 miles? Well, I think it's about 3,000 miles across. Oh, is it? Okay. So it would be half the size of the okay. continent of the United States or a little more. Okay? So you could probably do that on Google there and find oh, out. I'm sure I could. 1,400 miles. I just knew you knew, Dan. But, but imagine a city that huge coming down and sitting in the middle of the United States. It's weird. Okay? Uh, it's It's amazing. There's a guy named Victor Stinger. Anybody know who that is? He's a, he's a well-known skeptic. And he wrote, wrote a book called God, the Failed Hypothesis. And he said, his argument in that book was this. 
If God existed, he would have blessed humanity with a near limitless habitat space. It, so he made the argument that if God existed, he's perfectly loved, perfectly loving, all-powerful, and all this stuff, he would have blessed humanity with a near limitless habitat, habitat, habitat space. Since the universe isn't habitable, the whole universe, while immense, is very hostile to life. It's very hostile. Okay, Stinger concludes that God must not exist. But, obviously, he doesn't think about the big picture. So that's true. Um, how many of you like science fiction? Anybody like science fiction? All of science fiction is false. It's science fiction. It's fiction, right? And so when you read, even in news stories, when they read about missions to Mars, oh, we want to go to Mars, okay? The biggest problem with going to Mars isn't the fuel. Uh, it isn't the spacecraft to do it. It isn't even landing on Mars. It is traveling in space outside of our magnetic sphere uh, because space itself isn't empty. What we've learned is space itself is full of cosmic radiation. And this cosmic radiation and pho photonic activity and different kinds of radiation, but cosmic radiation specifically, is deadly to any living organism, okay, over time. I mean, you can go out there, oh, okay, I'm okay, and come back, right? And so when we, and we get out, they get out of our magnetic sphere when you go around the moon, all right? So it extends almost to the moon, depending on the, the path, all right? So as far as we've been, we've been to the moon. And so that means we haven't really been outside of uh, the magnetic sphere for very long at all. But they know, because they've done experiments, that if you're outside that magnetic sphere, you're going to get fried over time. It kills you. Uh, not right away, but over time. You're, you, it, these cosmic rays. And they, and they don't know how to shield. It takes huge amounts of mass to slow them down. They're very fast. They're basically neutrinos from the stars. And these neutrinos pass through matter and destroy it and hurt it. All right? And so the only way to defend it right now is to try and slow those things down so they can be blocked. And they have very little ways to do that. Now, the hope is they'll figure out how to do it. But we know that space is very inhospitable to any kind of life. We say human life, but any kind of life. Very, very little kinds of life can survive space. So it's a big universe to be so inhospitable to any kind of life. And that's what these skeptics and people point out. But um, he's wrong because God has a plan for that. How, Hugh Ross puts it this way, and I love this because late last week, Easter and such, my kids were posting pictures of their babies in playpens. So J.D. posted his uh, baby, uh, Jean-Luc, in a playpen, and he thought it was funny because the, he had toys on one side of the playpen, and he was playing with the straps of the, of, the, of the wall. I mean, this isn't really a playpen. It's like fencing in fenced off an area. And he was playing with the straps on, on, on one of those things. He thought that was hilarious. And it is. It's funny. And then my daughter sent him a picture of her play area for her baby and says, you don't have any toys. I don't see any toys in here. Here's what toys look like. And here she got toys all over the thing. And uh, she and the baby was in, in her playpen. And so I got a kick out of this story that Hugh Ross says in his book about the transdimensionality of God. He says, um, God never intended humans to be confined to this earth or this universe or to these bodies forever. He had a plan. He had a two-creation plan. All right? He said, Our present confinement may be likened to parents' placement of their toddler in a playpen for a brief time or in a room with protective gates, which we've done. We have gates in our house, too, for our babies when they come visit. These limits keep little ones safe and secure. As the child matures, the parents can safely release him or her into a much larger habitat. Similarly, from God's perspective, humans are too immature to be set loose 
in a large living space. But eventually, when God's Spirit brings us to a full maturity, we'll be ready to access a living area far greater than anything conceivable in the present universe. The increase in our mobility in the new creation will be dramatic. And I want to just cover a couple of things. In the new world, let's say, let's say everything is new, and we don't have this three plus one dimensionality. What would it mean to us if we had something like a second dimension of time available to us? What could you do? All right? So if you had a second dimension of time available to you, what could you do? It's hard for us, it can't even enter our minds what this means. Yeah, the smoke is coming out of our ears. Smoke coming out of your ears. The one dimension that we can't visualize is time. Now, you can look at all the science fiction stories, but they all deal with one dimension of time. It may change as they change the past. It may change, but it's always one dimension of time. So even though it's easy for us to think about three dimensions of space, why? Because we have three dimensions of space. It's really hard for us to conceptualize multiple dimensions of time. And with one dimension of time, just one more dimension of time, or something like it, we will be able to carry on conversations. So we have time going like this, and now we have a time dimension going something like that. But even if we just had one dimension of time, guess what? We would be able to carry on, um, we would be able to give full attention to countless of other of relationships. As we go through this time, oh, I can use this dimension here for mom, this dimension here for Deborah, this dimension here for my dad, this dimension here of time with my father-in-law. We can, we can have simultaneous relationships fully invested in our real with them it's it's mind-boggling to think about that and that's just if there's one dimension time we will be able to carry on continuous conversations with as many people as we like see i've long thought about these uh these white throne judgments and the books will be open and people will be judged i'm going what am i going to be doing while i'm waiting my turn here (laughs) and this is where the ideas of it being boring come from right how many of you have ever been in a long line? Can you imagine being in a long line with tens of billions of people throughout time? Have you ever thought about that? I have thought about that many times. What am I going to do? Play chess? While I'm sitting there waiting for my turn at the throne? And then he's gone, I'm going to get up there and I have my trust in Christ. I'm going to say, I trust in Christ. Nothing I bring in my hand do I have. I trust in Christ. Oh, welcome good and faithful servant, go over here. <laughs> I waited all that time. and <laughs> How's that work? You know, But the Bible describes them that way. I thought they were going to show a video of your life. Stop it all. <laughs> right, they're going to show a video of each person's life? How long is that going to take? Right? In his time, it just takes a second. It's going, to take, it's going to take amazing amounts of things. But if there's multiple dimensions of time, it's not a problem. Right? So God can carry on judgment conversations with billions of people simultaneously, and we will be able to watch each and every one of them if we care to um, in, those, in those judgments. We will be able to carry on continuous conversations from billions of simultaneous communications to amazing timelines. If you know it's going to be new, it's got to be radically different, right? New dimensions of space will give us the abilities you can only guess about. You can take simultaneous classes in cooking, dancing, chess, and become masters in all of them because you can be there and take lessons. Amazing, isn't it? We have a great amazing future ahead of us. This small life and its troubles and trials are temporary. Evil, suffering, and doubt and pain are just for a while. God hasn't told everything about the future, but he does tell us it exists. God has shown us enough to learn about it and learn that it is amazing. Physics helps us to understand the scope of how amazing it might be. All right? I'm telling people, that's why I tell people, rejoice. We are living in the only time in human history that can explore, wrestle, 
and get a glimpse of how these ideas might work in the new heaven and in new earth. No generation before us has ever been able to see as much of God's glory as we can today since the apostles walked the earth. This is an amazing time to be a Christian. And it's an amazing time to tell people, look, the suffering is real, but it's temporary. The evil is real, but it's temporary. God already has in place the plan to get rid of it. It's temporary, but God's glory his new heaven and new earth, and our new bodies and new relationships are eternal. Let's, it's something to get excited about. Our doubts will go away and our abilities will compound. It's an amazing time that we have to look forward to our living hope in Jesus Christ. Now, even if all of this is wrong, even if I'm wrong about all this, remember... We, we, get, we deal with our doubts by keeping our eyes on Jesus and trusting him. And he's told us this is going to be an amazing creation. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson. Thank you, Lord, for the glimpse, the, know, the knowledge that we got a new heaven and new earth to look forward to and that you will dwell with us and you will be our God and we will be your people. And we're your people now enlighten our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Help us to wrestle with an open mind on these issues as we contemplate your mighty works, as we go out and give them heaven this week. In Jesus' name, amen.